games start as a fun little diversion, then games become this incredibly significant thing that has real-world consequence. And some people view that as dystopian, and I really do not. Like, people spend five or six hours a day watching television, and I think playing a game with other human beings and creating stuff is like a big improvement on that. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Other Life. I am Justin Murphy. I just wanted to let you know that I write a free newsletter to thousands of people every week. It's where I publish my best work, I share events that you can come to, and much more. We have an insane private community around the newsletter, and it's free. Go check it out. Just go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. When you subscribe, I'm going to send you a folder of PDFs that contain all of my personal highlights from a bunch of my favorite books that I've read over the years. So you'll get a million insights after just a few minutes of browsing these PDFs, really. They're really special to me, and I just figured I'd share them with you all. So that's otherlife.co, otherlife.co. All right, Charlie, I want to start off with some of the spicy takes you were throwing at me the other day at, at a party I saw you at. Um, tell, tell me about Web3 Gaming as a whole, and what do people not realize about it? Yeah, I think that basically it's in two categories. The first thing I think people maybe undervalue is how soon it could become fairly huge. I think that's the major thing, and that Web3 Gaming, I think, will serve as the first major kind of mass consumer win in crypto beyond the crypto exchanges, etc. I think it's going to be the first thing that leverages NFTs, which people love, and which is going to pull in a massive audience to participate with all the kind of beautiful plumbing that's been made in terms of L1s and DeFi protocols. So the first side to me is it's coming very soon. And I think it will be much larger than people think. And a lot of people are asleep at the wheel thinking it will take a long time. I don't believe it will. The kind of other side of it is that there's a lot of, you know, very, there's it, it, like with any frontier space, there's a lot of confused theses, things that are not going to work at all. Uh, and I think among those is like sort of digital scarcity and uh, around land as a prerequisite for participating in open user-generated content world. So that's like, there's basically, it's going to be really big, but there's also a pretty flawed uh, reality right now. And we're trying to address that. That's kind of our thing. Okay, gotcha. Now, yeah. that's a very polite and diplomatic way of putting it. The other day, I think you said something to the effect of everything in Web3 Gaming is a scam, <laughs> <laughs> except for Nifty Island. No, so, no, yeah. so, so let's break it down a little bit more and, and don't hold back. Uh, sure. You were telling me how some of the marquee names in, mm -hmm. uh, especially the digital land and uh, web metaverse yeah, plays. Yeah. A lot of them are literally just empty vessels with a lot of hype and a, and a, and a ton of uh, fundraising. Uh, give me some examples. Let's go into detail about the things you were telling me the other day. Yep. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, sounds good. And I'll be uncensored, but vague in the ones that I mentioned, just because for fun, I guess, and because it's convenient. But uh, so basically, um, for me, there's this like big assumption that people have, like everybody's excited about the metaverse. Everybody's like, okay, I totally see it. People are going to spend time in these virtual venues. They're going to play games. They're going to exchange value. There's going to be this huge amount of consumer inventory that emerges in these spaces. And then this sort of strange meme like emerged, which was the idea that if you have a game world, it must have a finite amount of land, like in the real world. Right. And you'll have to buy land to really participate. Like this is sort of the big like premise of many platforms in the space, especially many of the biggest ones right now, at least biggest in notoriety, but by DAUs, they're not very big. Um, and the idea is like, okay, everyone has to own land. And then what happened basically was, or a few platforms, Decentraland was the first one, which I think started as like a really well-meaning experiment. And the team is like, you know, has, has, has made a good attempt there. 
uh, but has since moved on to other projects. And basically, they like create a big grid map, and everyone can own a little square in the grid map. And what this did was, it didn't really create a fun game, but it did gamify fundraising, where mm. like VCs and speculators are like, you mean there's a map, and there's only so much <laughs> land, and I could own all of it, and then people will have to pay me to interact with it. And that's a very compelling proposition as like a rent-seeking kind of speculator or investor. But as a player, it's like a hellscape that makes no sense, you know? So it basically, the equivalent of like scarce land in the metaverse is like if there were only 100,000 YouTube accounts and you had to buy one from like a major VC fund or rent it from them to make content. It would be a much worse platform. And that is like the fundamental premise that most of these game worlds are operating on. And they can run the experiment, but I'm like pretty much 99% like certain that it will not work and that platforms that reject that premise will win. So what you're saying is that basically most of what is called Web3 gaming slash metaverse projects in crypto is not really building games for people to play and to enjoy. It's more building games to play VCs, basically. That's exactly right. Yeah. So they are games, but they're gamifying something very different. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's right now there's like a very insular enthusiast investor crowd And this like loose monetary environment has allowed people to play their own games, which are almost like, you know, faux companies, which are fun to speculate on, but are pretty much pure narrative. And they have stores of value that like land that don't make sense for players, but they make sense for investors. And that's kind of where we're at. right? So you mentioned Decentraland. What about other well-known names like CryptoVoxels? Is that cool? Is it not cool? I think this is CryptoVoxels is one where I really like it in terms of like the ethos. And like, I think the team is like trying to create something great. And the like Web3 community, there's real engagement. Like it's not massive numbers, it's small, but it caters to an enthusiast crowd with good intentions. But Ultimately, like the land model and like the fidelity of gameplay, I think will make it struggle to, you know, to really be like a real game that people want to play on a mass way. So, yeah, I think they're well intentioned, but I don't agree with some of the premises that they're operating under. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. so then now tell us what is Nifty Island and how are you building on fundamentally different foundations? Like, how is it different? Yeah. So basically, you could think about it like this, that we're making two bets at the same time. One is a bet on like NFTs and kind of crypto and like why is it cool and how does it speak to some real human need that's like enduring. And for us, that is the Internet's really noisy and it's hard to find people you want to deeply collaborate with. And NFTs are this costly social signal where if you own something that's the price of a laptop or a small car or whatever or a house even, it means you probably care about this thing. There's an element of speculation, but... It goes beyond that. If you own a board ape today, it defines who you are on some level, uh, which is pretty interesting. And for us, we want to build a gaming platform that acts as a home for all of these, this IP to live and to develop itself and for deeper communities to form around it. And we think games are just the best place for that to happen. Um, And then the other side of it is a bet on the future of games, crypto aside which is user-generated content. So basically, like, the best games right now are ones that get the users to do the work, like, that get them to contribute and build up this, like, really amazing universe that surprises you every time you come to it, like YouTube. Like, every time you go to YouTube, you can be, like, shocked, you can be appalled, or you can love stuff that you find, but you're almost always surprised on some level. And that is the future. Platforms like Roblox are doing this already, um, but I think the trend is going to be hyperextended by Web3 because when you assign property rights to the things people make and you have better incentives to make stuff, it's almost like a singularity moment for gaming where suddenly 
you know, you can have a business and a profession creating content for a game. And, the, and that's that's going to be a, a huge thing. So it's deep community and it's a crazy bet on UGC. Like that's the thing we're doing. And it's an open social game world that encompasses both. So you want Nifty Island to be a place where all NFTs from all ecosystems can plug in? Is that the idea? 100%. Yeah. So it'd be like, you own a board Ape. You should be able to take it to Nifty Island, display it as a JPEG, sure, but also play as a 3D avatar based on it. You should have a house that you can place on your island and uh, decorate your whole island with board Ape stuff. And then you should also, as a creator, be able to look at board Ape and say, I have an idea. What if there was like a giant banana skyscraper that I could create and sell to people who are really into board Apes? And then the cinematic and kind of content universe around the game deepens dramatically in a sort of like bottom-up folklore kind of way. And you can yeah. interact with um, like a m'lady or something like that. All the m'lady should be hanging out, you know? They should be hanging out. Do on you have their m'ladies? Own. Oh, yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, so... That sounds super ambitious. Am I right to sense that? That's like a massive... Do you basically want to be the Roblox for Web3 in a way? Yeah, I think of it like and it, it, that it's, it's Roblox, but I think that games are just like a better way to interact online than like a feed. You know, the feed has its purpose, but... I think games will be the place where people spend time. And so, like, I do see it as, like, games will compete with Facebook and games will obviously, you know, compete with Roblox as just being one of the dominant platforms. But, like, we want it to be, like, a giant platform. That's the goal. And crypto affords so much capital to work with that it, I think it is ambitious but doable. Like, it is uh, something that can be done if you want to put one foot in front of the other and do it. So basically. why is yeah. it that all of the other projects in Web3 Gaming are so vapid and empty and yours is the one that's legit, hardcore, long-term, you know, why are there not more people trying to do what you're doing? Yeah, I think I think there are good teams. You know, there are good teams doing stuff, but there's a lot of noise. Like, that's where we're at. And uh, I think the main thing is that crypto presents, like, really challenging incentives for builders. And what it does is you could make a game, and that takes a lot of time and effort. You need a big team, uh, and you need to march together in unison for, like, years to do it really well. Or you could issue a bunch of, like, stores of value based on the future promise of your game, and you could sell those to people ahead of the game. And once you do that, you've incurred this big debt where it's like, the game has to be perfect. Like, everything has to be great or else these assets are going to go down in value. And that means that people spend more time catering to that group than they do building a game. And in fact, people aren't stupid when it comes to games. If they play a game and it's bad, they're going to know it. It's not like DeFi where no one understands it really. Like they're going to know. And so the incentive becomes delay launch of game, maybe don't even build game, uh, mainly focus on PR and marketing. And that's kind of the like the, the temptation, you know. And that's is this the, because there's just a lot of easy money slushing around? Is that the problem? Yeah, yeah, it's like really, really easy money, um, and it is not hard to just play to a narrative, and everything's kind of a meme stock right now, so it's very easy to just issue an asset, and then it benefits from the rise of a narrative. So like, look at like with Decentraland, like Mana, their coin has spiked a lot, and it spiked because Facebook announced Meta, which has nothing to do with Decentraland, <laughs> yeah. right? It just has to do with the narrative being bigger. Mm -hmm. And so you could be like a billionaire based on a narrative, uh, or you could try and build like a product, and that's that's like, or you could do both, I guess. But okay. it's uh, that's the problem. So basically, there's a ton of easy money slushing around, and all of the incentives right now are to just have hype projects that are geared towards fundraising based on some promise, and then to just keep doing that fundraising, never getting around to the product, and that's yeah. the problem. But you're but you're basically trying to buck that trend and build something for the long term. 
Yes, that's that's exactly right. Like the way I describe a lot of like these sort of you know, especially the scarce land plays is if you've ever seen the movie, the big short, there's that scene where they go to Florida and they look at all these houses and they realize no one lives in them and that people are just buying them as investment properties. And there's like crocodiles in the pool and it's like a ghost city. Like that is where we're at with a lot of scarce land, like kind of web three gaming plays is that there are no users and there almost never was intended to be users. And, uh, and then what I think is that this is like a squandered blessing. It's like the world saying, hey, we really want this to exist. Here's infinite money to do it. And I'm like, what if we like did it, though? You know, what if we like tried to do it? You know what I mean? And there are other groups trying to do it. There are a few that I could note that are good. Um, but there's a lot that are just like riding that kind of wave of easy capital. OK, fascinating. Yeah. All right. So I think that explains for the audience a little bit more about what you're working on and, and how you see the 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 design space, if you will, right now in Web3 gaming. But I think my audience will also be interested to learn that, you, you know, you're, you're a writer as well, and you bring to the table some interesting philosophical convictions, I would say. Uh, you, you have a fairly deep and interesting philosophical worldview that's gotten you into this. So why don't we start to talk about that a little bit? You have an interesting kind of story that you tell around uh, humanism and post-humanism. So why don't we start with, you know, at a high level, what is the problem with humanism? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So sometimes I have some thoughts, I write them down. You know, I don't always have the most discipline to do it, but when I get around to well, it, you're busy building a company, but yeah, you know, yeah. you're, you're a thinking man is what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I do have some thoughts sometimes. Uh, and yeah, basically like I wrote this essay for Palladium Mag before I started this company and it was kind of me doing like a lot of like, okay, I've been thinking for a long time. Like I'm a thinker, you know, I do spend <laughs> too much time doing that sometimes. And it was me. I'm like, I'm going to put out a synthesis of everything I've been thinking about. And I'm going to say this for now is my conclusion Then I'm going to go and try and build something. That was kind of my orientation with it. And basically like what I was writing about was kind of a big story around like how should we think about modernity as like a condition that we're in. And my feeling is that there's this sort of myth that modern society and the advent of it is when humans got in the driver's seat, when we were like, okay, you know, now we can build cool machines and now we can have governments that just one-to-one -one reflect our values and we're just going to drive off into the future and everything's going to be good. And uh, obviously, I think we've, a lot of people have felt that that like may not be the case on like a gut level. And I wanted to put words to that. And basically, my view is that that is like kind of a like humanist myth that we can possibly control the society that we're in. And that in fact, because modern society grows more and more complex over time, it's actually harder and harder to control it. And there, mm -hmm. there might have been a period of like 150 years, maybe, or 200 years, maybe we're in the 1700s to like, you know, World War One, roughly, where we might have believed we were in the driver's seat. And now we're realizing that our society's grown so complex that it's more like nature. We're almost back in a condition of being in nature where stuff is happening in the world, like Austin outside is growing really fast, and no one's really in the driver's seat of that process. That's just something that's happening. And so then the question becomes, like, you know, how do we as, a, as people, like, navigate this modern society that we don't really control? And what are the right bets to make? Like, what's the right way to behave? What sort of virtues are worth cultivating in that environment? That's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking about. That's, that's excellent. Well, well put. And your essay is very much worth reading. Uh, it's, it's a tour de force. And you end with this idea of uh, an OS for, you know, yeah. contemporary rea reality. How do you how do you see that? What what does it boil down to to navigate in this world where humans are no longer in the cockpit? Yeah, yeah. So for me, like, you know, there are 
like substrates of human life that are kind of like going to be enduring throughout this. Like there's a lot of chaos. And then the kind of question is like, what can you hang on to? What can you use to navigate? And there's a bunch of stuff I draw on there where it's like, you know, about like practical virtues and processes that are dependable regardless of any like big crazy assumptions about how the world is going to work in the future. So for me, it's like the sort of stuff I focus on is like groups that will thrive are ones with like a deep moral community where they can depend on each other, you know, and that can look many ways. Like America can foster that, other countries can foster it, but people's ability to stick together and collaborate and trust one another will be incredibly important because they're going to confront all these novel challenges. And if people are all alien and stranger to each strangers to each other, it's going to be really hard to tackle that. So that's like kind of one side of it. And then some of the other stuff is like, you know, more practically on like what bets make sense to place. And for me, a lot of that is having like a really open mind to things presenting as like humble and kind of maybe even devious things. And then being able to bet on the fact that if you see a self-reinforcing feedback loop, if you see something growing, you might want to jump on that. Uh, and like crypto for me is like the ultimate example of this. Like I think of crypto as being not dissimilar to like early Christianity, where it presented as this kind of nefarious thing where Romans would have looked at it and said like, what the hell are these people on about? Like, <laughs> like why are they so concerned with their beliefs and God and et cetera? you know, and why do they keep growing? Like, what's going on? And, uh, and, and it's really just important to recognize that, like, Christianity would have seemed so insane at the time. Like, it would have seemed like the most ill-adapted, crazy thing to be doing, and then it won and changed the world. And uh, same with crypto. It presents as, like, a Ponzi scheme, but it plays into the most vital forces of our society today, which is, like, financialization, uh, incent like having really robust incentives existing on the internet. And I think it will emerge as like one of the main ways where modern societies like governed will be based on crypto. Yeah. Fascinating. So when you talk about post humanism, I understand what you're talking about and it resonates with, with me because we have some shared references, like people like Nick land. But I think to a lot of people, when they hear someone talk about post humanism in a, in a good way, they're kind of like, Oh, that sounds evil, right? That sounds like the, yeah. mach the machines and the cyborg theocracy are going to, uh, take us over. They're going totally. to obliterate our room for for thinking and living freely. So help people understand that. Yeah, that's. I actually. I honestly wish that I landed on a different term or something. To be honest, because <laughs> I like in no like I'm like I. It's more. It's not a case for saying like human beings aren't important. Like they're in my book. Like you know, number one. <laughs> you know, call me crazy, but like there. But it's a case for humility where it's sort of saying we can view ourselves as these gods that have like figured everything out. And we know how like all of these sort of natural laws operate. And we have all these theories about how society operates and we could believe that we really know everything. Or we could say, Hey, we're actually just, uh, have a very small part of the picture. We're like very limited beings and we need to like embrace that constraint and act with humility and play into what makes human beings great, which for me, first and foremost, is like our capacity for reinvention through deep ties with one another. So like that, it's a case for humility. It's not a case for saying like human beings don't matter. Like I say humans should have humility because we want them to matter. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally yeah. know what you mean. And it's interesting. Like we do kind of need new words for some of this stuff because it's very yeah. confusing. In fact, people saying the same things will sometimes use totally opposite words. Like I, I had in last week, the first person I had in in this new studio was uh, James Polos. You know who he is? Uh, he's mm. on Twitter. He's an author. Okay. Cool. Um, he's, 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 uh, he couches his ideas in uh, the language of humanism. So he, he's very much kind of uh, – he, he frames his ideas against the post-humanism, against the Nick Land, against the submerge into the, into the cyborg. Um, whereas you're kind of saying like, look, we're 
out of the pilot seat, there is this kind of machinic intelligence that is taking over, whether we like it or not. Mm. But what everyone here has in common, among whether it's James or you, and, and these different ways of framing it, is this shared sense that um, we need to create these uh, bastions or yeah. pe- or petri dishes where human culture can uh, thrive, where, where humans can actually survive and thrive. That, yeah. That's that's the common that's the common link. So it's like whether you couch it in a kind of humanist frame and you say you're against posthumanism and the cyborg theocracy. Mm-hmm. Or you say, look, the cyborg theocracy is here. There's this machinic intelligence uh, looming. Uh, it, it's kind of just like different aesthetic angles uh, and different ways that you can frame it. But it is – someone has to kind of do this work of, of of making the synthesis in a way because a lot of people are talking across purposes with totally different uh, languages. Totally, yeah. And it's it, – for me, like the driver for this is like very – like this is all this like and writing an essay and like talking about it here is like – it's great for the word cell homies. You know, we love this stuff. Like it's fun. I'm, I love it. And then like the thing that anchors it in like, you know, real like deep purpose for me is like, it's basically like I'll have kids one day. Like what would I want to tell them about how the world works and like how they should operate. And the good news I think is that most regular people actually share a lot of premises with this. Like most regular people have some conviction in like a higher power bigger than themselves. And they have pretty practical views around like, you know what, you got to stick together, you got to like have some good people in your corner, and you should approach the world with some humility. And then there's actually a very small group that's like hyper educated and has a lot of power, and they believe they know everything. And (laughs) and so it's what you know, for all the like, kind of, you know, philosophical terms, I tend to think like the goal is to give expression to what are very common sense things that most normal people believe. But then there's a group that sort of has all these theories and ideas and long academic papers about how the macro economy works and stuff. And they've gone into this mirage of like, you know, certainty. And I kind of it's for them that you want to pull them out. Regular people kind of already get it. So was there was there a link between your your posthumanist worldview that crystallized in that essay and the push into gaming in particular yeah so i think the bit first it's like just really visceral like i love games i've played games forever like you're a gamer for sure yeah it'd be, it'd be pretty funny if i wasn't i guess uh yeah and admittedly i play a lot less games now that i'm building a game well i only play my own game so there's that but well building a business is kind of gamified right like you're making a number go up it's a 4x right. strategy yeah. Game. <laughs> yeah it's like playing Civ. You know, with like, but more right, fun. Right, uh, totally. And uh, yeah, so totally. And so I play all these games as a kid. And what was really cool to me over time was to see something that felt like such a little diversion. Like you get an N64 for Christmas and it felt like this thing that was so apart from the world and kind of like a fun little escape for kids, right? That's what it was. And then people have grown up. They've kept taking it seriously. And games have become something that has increasing resonance across society. Like everybody plays them. They are the most profitable form of entertainment and the most ubiquitous, really, especially like if you, you know, target like an age demo of like lower than 30, 30 or lower, maybe even 40 and lower. And uh, they are the future of like entertainment. And I think the longer these things stick around, the more significance gets attached to them. And so for me, part of the gaming thing is that it's like, I love seeing stuff that isn't being taken seriously enough. And then kind of like the Christianity, you know, uh, comparison that I said before, like games start as a fun little diversion, then games become this incredibly significant thing that has real world consequence. And some people view that as dystopian. I really do not like people spend five or six hours a day watching television. And I think playing a game with other human beings and creating stuff is like a big improvement on that for me. Is it conceivable that the big games would kind of 
move into Web3 and beat you to the punch? Is that a competitive threat to your perspective? Yeah, I think it's a cause like for... Like Fortnite or something, right? Could just introduce like an NFT layer or something? Is that Do you expect that to happen? Yeah, so I think this has always been like a specter that's hung over all crypto innovation. Like even when people were doing DeFi and stuff, people are like, oh, the banks are just going to do DeFi. Like you shouldn't even bother. And admittedly, banks are slower than, you know, big game studios, but big game studios don't move at a lightning speed either. And for me, they will do it eventually. And it's just a cause for urgency. It's like you have to do this fast and you have to marshal a lot of capital and talent quickly and acquire users quickly. And then suddenly you get to play the game and you get to compete with them and the main advantage that we have is that we'll embrace Web3 more deeply than they ever will. Uh, and it will take them, like, I think a decade to do it as deeply as we will. That's my guess. But, okay. you know, they could move quicker than you think. Yeah, just, yeah, sure. Yeah. Fair enough. So when I hear you describe Nifty Island, it sounds like an insane engineering problem, right? Because you're talking about basically a game world that's able to pull in NFTs from any chain in any ecosystem and allow all of these different characters and identities to interact seamlessly. That just sounds like a mind-boggling engineering problem. So maybe you could unpack a little bit about, you know, what that really involves. And because, you know, I'm sure we have some engineers in the audience, some people listening or watching uh, who maybe they are a Unity dev or they're looking to, you know, get into this kind of thing. Unpack a little bit on a, on a more technical level. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. Like, make the pitch. Because I think a lot of people are listening and they're like, okay, it sounds really cool, but that sounds impossible. Totally. And 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 two things. First of all, when people say it's impossible, that's bullish. You know, that's where there's alpha, like, for real, is when people are like, oh, you can't do that. Like, that's that's yeah. too much. You know, and so, like, I love that. That's the best. And, and then the other thing I will say is we're definitely hiring. We're, like, always hiring. <laughs> so if you are, like, a game dev and you're watching this and you feel like taking on a big challenge and having an adventure, we're, like, all for it. So hit me up. But, uh, yeah, so basically the thing about, like, crypto and gaming is, like, crypto doesn't change that much about building a game like it is it's like basically the heavy industry of software like it takes a lot of manpower you can't be like a single like genius autist and just make the game on your own or if you do it will take you a long time so basically like you know building an open world game that has user generated content is known like it can be done roblox has done it notably second life did it with lower fidelity gameplay but it can be done and so there's a bunch of challenges around like Having user curated environments, having those networked correctly, allowing people to visit them, uh, ensuring that players can interact in real time in ways that are like server side authoritative, uh, such that you can play games and people can reliably know that if they take an action, someone else will see it. So there's a lot of challenges there. And then other challenges include being able to assimilate all this weird content that is like super heterogeneous, like basically people are creating NFTs and there's all kinds of data attached to them and you have to be able to pull them all in. And that's something we spent a lot of time over the past year doing. And it's honestly in some level over my head because we have some galaxy brains on it. And uh, But what I'll say is we're able to pull data from NFTs, from the metadata, and then we're able to run them through a process that makes them game ready, make sure they have levels of detail such that if they're hyper detailed and you're far away from them, you need it to be reduced such that it doesn't take up too much computing power and uh, like, you know, bog down game performance. There's challenges like that. Um, and then layering in incentives and stuff is its own challenge. But the like the honest truth of it is that it's all doable. It's just a matter. There just are novel problems, and you just have to put people on them. So does the does Nifty Island have its own chain or no? No. So that's something we really deliberately don't want to do um, for at least for the time being. So it's only reading data from other chains. We're a presentation you're, you're not, layer. Okay, right. That's it's it. not like there's not like interoperable chain stuff going on. 
They're basically the way to look at it is we do three things with the blockchain. The first thing we do is we ingest lots of inventory. We're like cool NFT on Solana. Awesome. Cool NFT on ETHL1. Great. Polygon. Great. And then we say the user owns these NFTs. We can tell that because they sign a transaction that indicates they own it. Then we pull the metadata in and we make it presentable in game and let people interact with it in different ways. And so very little of that occurs on chain. The only thing that's happening on chain is we're reading the, what is on chain, if you know what I mean. So that's one. And then the second is the creation and trading of user generated content. So you want to mint an NFT. That's a very known problem at this point. We have a unique minting dApp that will go live in like a month or so. And uh, that will allow you to mint an NFT that is tied to 3D data that will work in games, so like an avatar or a house or like a wearable. That's a known problem space, and we're just adding on what has been done. The final layer is like play-to-earn experiences, like people winning money in games. And that presents some challenges because as soon as money's in the equation, there are like issues where latent tolerance for latency is very low. Like if the game is unfair in some way, that's bad. If there's an exploit, that's bad. But there are ways to do these in measured experiments where you can creep towards the right answer rather than assuming you can do it all at once. So it sounds kind of crazy, but the blockchain game interface part is like fully doable and uh something that you can that is really just in those three discrete buckets you know that's that's how we think about it okay interesting so you're yeah. you're saying that none of this really requires some fundamental technological uh discovery or innovation you're it sounds like this is mostly known stuff but you're plugging it together in a way that is more uh, long-term-ish than what you find anywhere else just because everyone else is hustling you know for fundraising and stuff yeah, so like there are, like, for example, every game is a content pipeline where you take an asset and then you run it through a process that makes it work in the game. And then the, game, the asset appears, it could be a sword or a character. And we've had to iterate where we've had to say, we need a content pipeline that can assimilate a lot of weird stuff. And so that is innovation for sure. But it's not like creating something that's never existed. It's like improving upon what has existed before, you know? So, yeah, it's a. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it, there are new we impose we're presenting new demands on old systems and then having to iterate on how they work basically does that make sense yeah no it's fascinating yeah. and i'm just trying to think through like what is the bottleneck that's preventing other people from like why like why wouldn't other people do it but you already explained that it's 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 because everyone's obsessed with these short term incentives and and why wouldn't they be because there's all this money on the table so for sure yeah that's compelling so okay what did you what what was the big idea you took from nick land oh so yeah, I think for me the the part I dis- there's part I discard and there's part I embrace. The thing I discard is sort of like the black pilled nature of it, mm. you know. Like for me, that's like I, I have like a rule. I'm like no black pills in my swamp, you know. <laughs> I'm like we just what is the point? Like you're just forfeiting the future by believing that it, nothing is winnable, you know. And I would I will always you always have faith that you can do like realize good things in any environment it just seems like a the right belief to so have. you're not into the the horrorism no and all of that yeah no i'm it's not that's not my bag you know i'm out just uh coldness you know, is like, not your god i like wholesome stuff okay. you know right on. so uh so that for me like i discard but the thing i embrace about it is one the idea his notion that like modern life is really chaotic and there's all this stuff happening which we don't necessarily have control over and as like an actor in that environment, you kind of have, you have to like be almost reading like this cybernetic weather pattern, trying to figure out where the energy is and follow it. So I take it like the navigation grade stuff as like Wolf would say from Palladium, you know, and then, but I, so I like that bit of it, but then the kind of like values that are implied in it, I like don't agree. So I like him empirically and I like the systems he describes, but I don't necessarily share his like belief that it's all kind of like dark. Do you you think that people who have, 
concerns about crypto becoming this kind of catastrophically all all consuming uh, oppressor machinery do you, uh, do you have any sympathy for that is there something there because uh, i know a lot of pe- smart people who, who maybe yeah. even are into crypto who nonetheless take very seriously that this might essentially be a kind of uh artificial super intelligence that is uh kind of descending on us how, how do you think about that yeah i basically think i sympathize with the concern and then it becomes like the beauty is like if you narrow it into like what might actually happen a lot of that fades away where for me i'm like this is gonna win like i don't see any world where like irresistible programmatic incentives that live on the internet aren't going to be utilized like someone will utilize this like i promise you like it will either be private companies nonprofits governments individuals like people are going to do stuff with this it's like a new technology like oh maybe the internet's going to be bad but it's like maybe the internet's going to win you know what i mean so and then the question becomes if you have those concerns it's like we you can it's path dependent you can dictate how this plays out like it could play out for good or for bad and even look at the different chains and the way they operate. Those are have values implicit in them. And which one wins is largely up to us in terms of what we choose to use. So to me, like it's like the concern is right. And then it's like, don't I wouldn't let that have you sit on the sidelines. Like I would be like, if that's a concern, how can we build this in a good way? Like with AI, right, right. people are like, let's build AI ethically. Like let's do blockchain ethically too. Right. And what was the biggest idea you took from Alistair McIntyre? He's... He is the most like underrated dude of all time. Super based. He's amazing. Like he's he's great. And uh, he's one where I have like unmitigated, you know, endorsement. Like I don't at least as far as I know, he's never said anything I don't like. Yeah, he's wholesome as heck. He's he's a wholesome genius grandfather figure. He's wholesome. He's one of my countrymen too. He's Scottish Ah. as well. Ah, So that's all cool. And he's great too because I love thinkers where they've clearly just followed a thread wherever it led them. And he was a communist for a lot of his life. Mm. And then he ended up rejecting that, embracing Catholicism and having this deep concern with like morality and moral community. And I love, like, I always love that. It's like, what's great about Kanye? What's great about Radiohead is like, they follow a thread, you know, all the way, regardless of whether it fit their, you know, preconceived notions at the beginning. So for me, like, my, one of my biggest like concerns I had, like kind of topics I wanted to delve into was like ethics and morality, uh, which is kind of like, like why do moral, why is this this important vector of human life? And like, how do you engage with that? And, you know, what is right and what is wrong feels like often very confused in modern life. And he speaks to that. And what he ends up grind, grounding it in is that like, basically, like there, I, I guess I don't know how much I should get into this or not, but basically like there's he thinks a lot of the time people make moral statements that aren't rooted in any social reality. They're kind of just like, this is right or wrong, like on its own case. And I've reasoned that it is right or wrong. And what he says is like, moral life emerges out of a tight knit community that defines each of us and gives us a purpose. And then right or wrong is dictated by how we fit into that whole. And, uh, and for me, that's an incredibly powerful insight. And it says that like moral life is possible in a certain context. And so when I look at Web3 and crypto and the way we're building our community, I want to do it in a way where moral life is possible within it, basically. And I think he's like just one of the most wildly underrated thinkers, like period. He's really great. Really good. Fascinating. So, yeah, it's like what a, when a lot of people talk about the metaverse, they often imagine this kind of big homogenous thing that everyone is in. Mm-hmm. They kind of have the mental model of something like a, like a Twitter or something like that. They just assume yeah. it's going to be big where everyone's interacting. But really, most likely, if what you're saying is right, and I tend to think in this way as well, I've written about it in, in my own language, it really, the metaverse is going to be many small worlds, mm-hmm. really, that um, 
are going to be like distant galaxies, basically. Like there will be some exchange and and um, moving in and out of the different sub communities. Yeah. But but what's really going to be radicalized is the distinctness and the relative uh, self-containedness yes. of these individual worlds. It's not like this big, massive, um, expansive world. It's it's a proliferation of many, many, many small worlds with increasingly tight, self-sustaining. Uh, feedback loops and 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 defining values and, and criteria, right? Is that, that's it. how you see it. Right? Oh, that's so that's that's on. interesting. It's kind of like an Al- Alistair McIntyre's take on Web three gaming. <laughs> he, I, I don't take him as a gamer, but like <laughs> yeah. I, I think he uh, he's a gamer whether he knows it or not. You know what I mean? That yeah. guy's a gamer for real. Uh, so yeah, I agree <laughs> with that for sure. And and that world that you're describing, like the homogenous one, is like peak two thousands, two thousand tens, like Facebook and Twitter and control. And what those platforms do to me is no one really has a home there. Everyone is rootless. And I look at Twitter, it's one of the most rootless things. Like it's everyone has a you know, it, it basically intentionally surfaces things from other subcultures, shows them to you if you th- if it thinks you won't like them, right. and then encourages you to engage with them. And that and it's all unmediated by the basic warmth and compassion that comes out when people just talk to each other, you know? So it's like kind of, it has a hellscape dimension. I don't hate Twitter, but I like Twitter a lot, but it can be used in a way that's quite bad. And uh, the great thing about games is it's all local. Like basically you have people in front of you and in our game it will be in an environment you control. And there's like a warmth and connection that comes from people speaking and collaborating with each other and building up their own subculture. And then those different neighborhoods can get along, they can cooperate, but we're never going to be like, oh, hey, you, like, you know, you have to know about this thing that doesn't fit your personal values. Do you want to have a take on it? And it's like, no, like, actually, we don't want to have a take on it. It's almost like the way to go through life in this new Web3 moment. It's almost like be post-humanist and cold towards the outer mega machine mm-hmm. you know the 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 machinic super intelligences that we find ourselves entrapped by be cold and anti-human and post-human towards those things mm-hmm. but then you turn inward create your own world and that's where you maximize humanity or humanism in a way 100%. something like that yeah you're like basically tending to like a campfire you know with people and like i often think of it too where it's like people get so concerned with these like bigger forces like i saw this guy in austin recently and fair enough like this guy could be a perfectly reasonable person maybe but i saw him like marching along the street with like a big like ukraine flag right and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with doing that but part of me is like dude like there are homeless people like right near you like you could do something about that or you could like you know talk to your parents or you could like you know help your homie out and like plug them in with something good and and i think the the, the temptation of the situation we're in is you're constantly being presented with these faraway problems, which you have no agency over whatsoever. And then people neglect sometimes the things that are really immediate. And, and, and it's that campfire that you can actually put a couple sticks on that like is great. And that's like what life's about, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's going to be more and more kind of confusion over the next few years, maybe even the next, you know, decade or so until society really adequately updates its its mental model. There's going to be more and more of these confusions where, People are basically operating at the wrong level, and they don't and they don't really realize it. So the the guy who like walks around town with like a placard about Ukraine, there's there's something uncanny and kind of ridiculous about it because they're sort of confusing what are the relevant operating levels of of social life and right. communication. Right? right? It's like it's kind of like literally speaking into a void. Yes. And I find that increasingly so with things like Twitter and the big megacorp social media. Yeah. Where it's like you know there's people who are really active on Twitter will you know really think 
in in their own mind like all oh, these people on Twitter are my friends like all my follow my my 20,000 followers they're my friends mm. we're all friends this is a community it's mm. like that is not a it's not a community right. it's actually like um uh, a bunch of highly atomized exploitative instru- <laughs> in, like instrumentally rational atoms mm. that are basically maneuvering this cold empty space mm-hmm. for their own power basically it's like everyone even the stuff that's warm and saccharine and oh gm and oh we're be- you know mm-hmm. this is so great everything's yeah. so good we're a community all of that stuff is actually when you look under it and you look into it deeply it, there's actually a really cold aspect to it where right, right. it's like this it's this saccharine surface but all everyone is really doing is gaining followers gaining power it's like this mm-hmm. really dark thing when you, I think when you, when you look into it because none of these people know each other. They're really just using the algorithmic affordances mm. to um, propel themselves in this cold ether, basically. Right. Whereas the all the stuff that's really interesting and truly valuable that's going to shape the future is being done in private communities that you can't even find unless you're unless you're actually um, a contributing yeah. uh, human, basically. So yeah. there's something very profound going on here that people are sleeping on. Yeah, and I think like for me, like with Twitter, it's like. I see the best thing you can do with it is to kind of put out a beacon for like the, Hey, there's something here and we're trying to do this thing. This might not maximize engagement, but like, you know, we're all trying to work together to something worthwhile. And if you want to be a part of that, come do it. And then come into the private sphere. Exactly. Yeah, exactly I mean, I, that's yeah. more and more how I see it. And I'm kind of increasingly shameless about it. Like I've been kind of getting yeah. more and more schizo with my, my, my Twitter posting in part because I'm, notice. I'm trying to be like honest and transparent and saying like, this is a ghetto. Like Twitter is a ghetto now, right? Mm. It's a really, really great for getting followers and building an audience and and shaping, you know, the public culture. But really the only purpose to grow an audience on Twitter is to get your people off of there as soon as possible onto something like Urbit or onto something that you really believe in, mm-hmm. that you own, and that really has a sustainable future that you believe in. Yeah. And the one thing I'll throw in just as always, I, you know, try to steer the, you know, try to mitigate the black pills, you know, yeah. where with it, it's like Twitter just is this surface where it's challenging for things to grow like that are genuine. And so you have all these people. And the funny thing is like, there are all these people with like really good intentions and who are very nice, but they're sort of isolated and interacting in a public space that doesn't allow for like the truth to come through. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it is in a way like the thing I try not to do is let that cause me to lose faith in the existence of lots of great people, which I'm not saying you're doing, but it's like, Hey, this is like a bit of a challenging environment. It's hard for good people to connect. And, um, and, but it's not that they're not out there. And it's not even that some of those people playing that game of follower growth might still be good, you know, deep down, but the environment just doesn't allow for that to be expressed. Yeah. That's my hope. Yeah, totally. I I agree with all that. I'm kind of more and more of the opinion that on the in these like psychotic megacorp social spaces, you should be somewhat psychotic and whatever, like be be proportionately disrespectful to the space to the same uh, proportion that the megacorp is disrespectful to the humans in it, basically. Right. Um, but then as soon as someone like DMs you or talks to you in private or certainly if you hang out face to face, then you're just like a chill, cool, normal based person. Like that's right. kind of that's right. kind of I think like I, I would like to think most people who know me on Twitter and also oh, know yeah. me in real life would basically that's how they would probably describe me. At least that's like kind of what I aim for. Well, that's what I was when we first connected like long ago. That's what I was drawn to is I was like, OK, like this person has good intentions and is doing good stuff. And and I like that and remaining genuine and having some mooring to the truth, even in an environment that doesn't reward it all the time. So I, I I like that. And yeah. And then I think the just danger of how we engage with these platforms is that it's like, it will shape you, you know? So it's like, 
you know, I look at people who have big followers and do really spicy, like really spicy takes. And I'm like, damn, like I'm too sensitive for that shit. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm too much of a softie for that shit. Like right just cause it would change me. You know, do you feel that there's an interesting kind of political cleavage in web three, would you say? Because it seems to me like there's, there, there's a handful of people like you and, and me who have this kind of more, you know, Landian kind of, uh, skeptical, attitude towards the the philosophical and the mm-hmm. political realities that crypto represents and portends mm-hmm. and then there it seems to me that there's a larger faction the more dominant faction that seems to want to kind of act like this is all just rainbows it's all like you right. know we're all going to get rich without doing any work in the next you know couple mm-hmm. years this is like easy happy communism and mm-hmm. everyone's going to win and like, do, yeah, do you have yeah, a, yeah, like, yeah. I hear this you. is also new, so I don't really have the right words for this or I, and I also could be wrong. Um, I feel like there's, there's still not enough like podcasts and culture around like the actual lived cultures that, that are emerging now. Is that yeah. your sense of things? Am I onto something or how would you characterize it? Yeah, I would say like people have to assume a stance on these platforms that isn't going to be like a robust and like nuanced truth, you know, and So in some ways, I actually really like the GM stuff because it's sort of this thing of it's like, I'm going to be uncomplicatedly pleasant because that is something that can be conveyed here. You know what I mean? Whereas if I was like, you know what, there's a lot of bastards and people doing bad stuff here and a lot of it's bad, but like there's a couple good people. Like if I say that, like that doesn't play, you know what I mean? So, uh, so I kind of like that. I feel the GM thing and like all that, like we're all going to make it like, of course it's used cynically sometimes, but at its purest, like it's people saying, this is a good reality I can convey. And, and then also people want, like, there is the possibility, I think people are looking to the space, like for some sort of a salvation on some level, like, Hey, here's a path that could work. Like, you know, there's not that many ways to make a lot, like a good living these days. And, uh, and so people are looking to it for that and, uh, and being boosters of it too, and shills and whatnot. So it's so many things at once, like any meme, there's like the cynical version, there's like the lie version, and then there's the like nice version and they're all kind of intermingled in one, you know? So which, yeah, it might not be a satisfying answer, but that's kind of where I stand on. Yeah. It, you know? Yeah. No, I was just, it's, it's, it's all new terrain. And I was just kind of curious if you had, yeah, if you yeah. had angles on that. Are, 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 do you think there are any other interesting things going on in crypto or web three that are like utter bullshit that, uh, mm. <laughs> you want to, yeah, like, I mean, like what what are, what are the memes that you think are the 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 least likely to you know hold yeah. water, hold water you know in five years or ten years? I think the the category that's in the most confused state right now is DeFi in general. Okay, where it was like this exciting first wave of like product being built, like small products, but product and um and what's really tough about it is that there's like a huge number of these like DEXs and get like lending protocols, et cetera. And it's just begging for consolidation, you know, where all of this stuff has no like charismatic claim on like an end user. You know, it's like, it's kind of just stuff that enthusiasts are like batting around. And in the future, I think it's all plumbing and nobody thinks about it. Right. And so there's all these groups building brands around like a, like a DEX and save for like probably three or four groups. A lot of it, like I don't see how it has like a future because in the end, the way this is going to work is people are going to be playing a video game. In my opinion, they're going to be earning rewards through it and then they'll want yield on it. And then they're going to interact with a small curated set of protocols that they won't even know what they're called. And it will give them yield and access to tools that they want. But like people aren't going to be like, you know what? I'm going on to phantom chain and I'm interacting with this obscure lending. Right, protocol all that's going to be abstracted out. And there's yeah. only going to be a few big winners. Exactly. Yeah. Like DeFi 
DeFi is a weird one right now. Like there's going to be a couple more big ones that come, but like there's a lot that are going to get washed away for sure. And I so think. back to gaming, what about Axie? So Axie is one where I like I'm extremely grateful to them because what they did was they had a conviction in gaming when no one did. Like literally nobody. Like the foresight and vision you'd have to have and like straight up grit to like push through a bear market where they couldn't like raise anything and they had to figure something out to then push through and then find a path to like 3 million DAUs or whatever they had at their peak is like remarkable and it has validated the space and like so many companies have raised off the back of their work including our own so i have like a really huge amount of respect for that team and then i think where they're at right now is they grew extremely fast and they're trying to right the ship because the way the game works is it kind of relies on constant user growth in order to keep the economic machine going that makes it kind of irresistible and um and they're trying to right that ship and turn it into something that people play both for fun and for money rather than just for money. And I think that's something they have to negotiate. And I think they're probably at a juncture right now where they're making plays, they have infinite money. Like I know some people on the team who are very talented. Like I feel like they'll there's a good chance they figure it out. Um, but really like they legitimize the whole space like and big do you, time. And do you think there will be multiple big game worlds or that's going to consolidate also into one or two big winners that's a really good question like there are two theses out there right now one is like the separate like i think there will be neighborhoods in the metaverse but it's like do those neighborhoods exist on one giant platform or many different ones and i i think there's going to be very few platforms in the end because basically if you create the right tooling and incentives people will create content for this for a world and the returns to scale on that are like really significant on the networking side, the game infrastructure you develop, the tools you create to let people build stuff. That all, and also just users and like having people there. There isn't, crypto doesn't really change anything that like you can have like a constellation of like a trillion, you know, indie game universes that all interact. Like I don't believe that is real. I think that's something people in crypto want to see happen because it kind of fits the ethos. But the raw reality is that like Roblox is like a incredibly vertically integrated, ginormous company. And that has allowed it to cater to a huge number of users and provide an experience that is good and that's really low cost to engage with. And so I think like gaming retains return to scale and that UGC platforms will win in the same way that in Web3 gaming, just like YouTube has won in this. I don't think it will be any different. Okay. That's my view. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And I know that you have a kind of strategic thesis around basically trying to build the biggest uh, public facing kind of user oriented yeah. uh, approach in, in, yeah. in making your game successful talk about that a little bit talk about how that's different than maybe some of the other attitudes and and talk about in detail like what what will it take for a game such as nifty island to become yeah. the massive uh game world with billions of users that you want it to be yeah definitely um so yeah my view right now is that crypto is going to pivot over the next year where like a very small number of groups will put one foot in front of the other and try to acquire huge user bases. And then the whole space will pivot. People will be like, okay, value is clearly going to accrue to projects with users, which is like very obvious, but we've been in like a weird phase where that hasn't been true at all. It hasn't mattered at all, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, and so my view basically is that like, it's going to come down to conventional like Web 2 and traditional gaming discipline around building a great game, uh, measuring user retention, iterating, uh, creating a great product. And then the unfair advantage that Web 3 presents is that you can let people 
earn and create in new ways in the game world. And the combination of those two is a winning uh, formula. So for us, it's like, as the game unfolds, we've never really sold anything to speculators at all. We've really just given things for almost with only one tiny exception to people who support the game. And that's the approach we're going to take throughout is letting people come in, create, have a stake in this game world and uh, become like advocates for it and be a part of like a true and deep community around it. And that's the thing that's really hard to do with like Roblox right now. And for me, the goal is to make Roblox look a little like the Soviet Union and then for <laughs> ours to be this really open and like place of free assembly and creation, huh. basically. And so that that's very broad, but there's a lot I could say more specifically tactically. Like we have a lot planned on the incentive layer for the game, which I can't talk about, but will be compelling. And then there's just a lot of block and tackle, like influencer marketing and uh, and, and really making a splash. Like that's important. So it sounds like something you're not so interested in is the meme around users owning the game itself or owning the land itself. It, it, it sounds implicitly like that's not the most interesting or important thing to you because you're building a normal startup. It's not a DAO. And mm. so is there is there a reflection there? Is that something? Am I, am I correct in characterizing your belief there? You know, it's basically like... There's a reality that games are centralized. Like, and if you think about, like, people are trying to put more and more stuff on chain over time. And the more computationally intensive it is, the harder it is to do. And games are on, like, the crazy far end of the spectrum. Like, right now, we've got, like, simple contracts that let you swap one token for one token or deposit a token and get yield on it. Like, that is very low information throughput. And then games are, like, way over here. And so for the foreseeable future, games are going to be run like how they've been run. But what is different is the user can have a different relationship with the game where they can really own what they produce. And they can also, if there are scarce commodities tied to the game, which are resources which are important for the game, they can own that and earn that. Um, And then the other thing, too, is if you are truly saying people own the game, it's like you're running into like a set of regulatory headaches that just don't make sense to engage with. And there's so many paths that are like fully compliant and good that you can take. So there's a lot of considerations there, but the games are what games are, but users can have a new relationship with them and what they produce on it. Does that make sense? That's kind of the tack that I take. Yeah, no, totally. It sounds, sounds thoughtful for sure. Well, dude, we covered a lot of ground. This was a lot of fun. Um, Thanks for coming in. I'm going to put links to everything we talked about in the show notes so people can check that out. And definitely if you're a Unity developer or interested in anything that Charlie was talking about. Hit me up. Yeah, they're hiring. They're hiring. So um, yeah, reach out. I'll put links in the show notes. Yeah, please do. I'll just say real quick on that. Like basically if you want like an all-in adventure, like camaraderie, and a lot of upside, like that's it. And I know a lot of people have been in games for a lot longer than I have, and it's easy to grow jaded on what's possible. And that's fair because some people know more than I do. But like, I think there's really an opportunity for someone who's skilled and looking for a mission to jump in. And yeah, I'll have your back 10,000%. And do they have to move to Austin or it's remote? Oh, fully remote, of course. We ask, But you probably want to move to Austin. Could be fun, but you don't have to. Yeah, we make one narrow claim, which is just like, let's build it. And then everything else is just up to you. That's basically it. Okay, right on. Well, I'll put links in the show notes and you reach out to Charlie on any of this stuff. Thanks for coming in, man. This was fun. Peace. Yeah. Later. All right, that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end, so you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple Podcasts. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show, and I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening, and thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.